Well, good morning. So glad you're here. And if you're watching online, we're so thankful that you're here with us as well. And, and um, you know, that verse that we just saw in that, that video, I want to remind you, uh, I want to challenge you to memorize that verse. Uh, that Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 really is a foundation for this entire series that we're in. And, and you know, normally when we, uh, it, it's common for us, that when we come together on Sunday mornings, we walk through a book of the Bible or uh, systematically go through something. And, and, but this, this season, we are taking a doctrinal study. We're kind of looking at the church and what the Bible says about the church, how to gather in a changing world is kind of what we're calling it, the church, to gather in a changing world. And it's an important, uh, I think, an important moment to look at the church and why we gather. And, and you know, um, a couple of weeks ago, about a week ago, I got to go to Voice of the Martyrs. It's in Bartlesville, and, and uh, it's a really, really cool ministry. And, and I, I was there, and it's interesting because they had just reconstructed the, the cell that Richard Wormbrandt was in. And if you know the story, there's a new movie out called Tortured for Christ, uh, which I think is on some platform. I don't know. But it's, um, but it's really a good movie about Richard Wormbrandt's story. And, and uh, they had reconstructed the cell, and I was in it. I stood in the cell, and I was like, oh, my goodness, I can't imagine uh, being in this place for so long and just the, how hard that would have been. And this guy that was one of the leaders at VOM said, you know, here's the reality, though. God, uh, God doesn't give us dying grace on an undying day. Now, now let me say it again. God doesn't give us undying grace. God doesn't give us dying grace on an undying day. And it just dawned on me, he's right, that God always meets us where we are and gives us what we need when we need it. And that's how God works. That's how God leads our lives. And, and you know, I think about this crazy time we're in in this COVID reality. God has called us to this day. He's called us to this time in 2020. You know, he's, it was, he's called us to this moment. He's called us to this place. And, and I'm grateful for that. And, and what God does when he calls you to something, he strengthens you to, to handle it and, and helps you uh, through it. And, the, and the, the, the joy of walking with Jesus is not that we are exempt from difficult times or tough moments. The joy of walking with Jesus is, is that he walks us through those moments, through those difficult times. Now, this morning... Uh, we're, I'm praying that God gives us understanding on the church. Now, what is a church? I've defined it throughout this series that, that a local church can be defined as um, we're a community of, believe, of baptized believers. You know, we've followed the Lord in baptism. If you haven't done that, at 4 o'clock today is a great opportunity. We have like 14 people coming to be baptized today. And, um, and so if you haven't done that, you could do it today because all of us should be baptized if we, if we know Christ. And if you haven't yet, come on, stop being disobedient and follow the Lord today. You can do it today. It's a great day to do it. Um, but we're a community of baptized believers who gather in this place, this specific place, at this specific, on the Lord's day. Today is the Lord's day. And we gather together and we're, we're under the, the, the authority of the Holy Spirit, of, of Christ. And we're gathering around the word and we're, and then the Bible is taught by these leaders that are called to you. 
Um, and and we're, we're called to, to, to this moment, to this time, and we're, we're engaging in worship, and, and we're focused on gospel-centered ministry, where we're sharing the gospel with the world. And that's the church. That's what God has done. That's what God's doing. And, and you know, I, I believe that God's called us to this place, to this moment. Now, this morning, as we prepare for that, we're going to be looking at John 17. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. John chapter 17. And this is a really great passage. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And John 17 is, is a big moment in the life of Christ that, the God, the, that John, the apostle, writes it and gives us this record. And God brought to memory this moment and, and some of the details of this moment. And um, John chapter 17, we're going to be focusing on 20 through 26. So if you'd stand with me, it's a practice for us to, to stand in honor of God's word. And I think it's just a good opportunity to, to just kind of make a statement that God, you have spoken and this is your word. And so we're going to acknowledge your word and, and just um, turn our heart to it. So verse 20, Jesus said this, he prayed this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, now John 17 is known as the high priestly prayer. And I understand this term because Jesus is our high priest, but, but I'll be honest with you, it's a, it's, a, it's a term that I struggle to relate to because um, on the surface, it kind of seems like that Jesus is distant and he's far away from us. And, and, and when, you, when I know, what I know about God is he's the opposite of that. He's not distant from us at all. In fact, like Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And, and you know what I would call 2020 a time of need, right? I mean, this is kind of a weird year, a strangest year. I mean, I, I can't even put my head around it sometimes. But, but, but when you think about the, the, the ability we have and the opportunity we have to, to draw near to the Lord, in every time of our lives. And in times of need, we can draw near to the Lord. Isn't that a great spot? Isn't that the place we want to draw near to, uh, especially in times of need? Well, John 17 is a really important passage because this is right before Jesus went to the cross. 
He's in the upper room. And if I could, I want to, I want to just kind of, before we kind of turn our face to verse 20, let's just think about this whole chapter that John has given us. And, and, and you know, you remember that timeline, right, that Jesus is in when he's praying this prayer? It's in the upper room. He's about to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, he's about to go to the cross. And, and remember, he had that really tough moment with Judas. Remember that moment with Judas? As Jesus got the bread and he dipped it into the, the wine and he reached out to Judas and, and the Bible tells us that Satan entered into him. Jesus knew it. And then that's when Jesus said, Judas, whatever you do, do it quickly. And Judas got up and left. And, and this is the moment that Jesus is praying for, for the disciples. He's about to go to the cross. Now, I don't know if I will have either the challenge or the blessing of knowing that this is my last moment, right? I don't know if I'll have that that whether that'll be a challenge or a blessing, I'm not sure. But, but, you know, Jesus had that challenge and that blessing of knowing I'm about to go to the cross. I'm about to die. And, and he knew that when I die, these guys are going to bail. They're going to take off and they're going to run. And, and, but, but this is a moment that Jesus had to make sure these words counted. And I'll tell you, if you knew it was your last prayer to pray over your wife or your, your kids, or, or if me, if I, if, if I knew this was the last time I was going to pray for my church, and then I was going to go to heaven, I'd want those words to count, right? Jesus knew that this was his moment, and these words counted, and it's a big deal. And, and so when you think about this, this chapter, verses 1 through 5, you can break it up in kind of three sections. Verses 1 through 5, Jesus prays for himself. In verses 6 through 19, he prays for his disciples. So let's think about that. In verse 4, Jesus prays for himself, and he makes an incredible statement. Look at verse 4. He says, I've glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. Now, how cool is that? Isn't that what you want to say? Like when you're at the end of your life, don't you want to say, God, I have accomplished the work you gave me to do? Man, that's what I want to say. I'll tell you what, as, as a church, we should hold one another accountable to live our lives in such a way that we can say that. We can say, we have completed the work that God gave us to do. Man, that'll make heaven so much sweeter. I mean, it's going to be sweet anyway, but, but, but I'll tell you what, I want to be able to know, Lord, I have accomplished the work you gave me to do. That's such a cool moment. In 6 through 19, this is the part that he prays for his disciples. And what a moment this was. What a big moment this was because Jesus knew that it's through these guys, these ordinary fishermen, these everyday dudes, they were going to be the ones that Jesus was going to empower and they were going to go start the church. And look at what they did. Look at how they took Jesus at his word that here we are in Indian territory and we are still, we're talking about Jesus today because these guys got focused and they took Jesus at his word. And, and, and you know what? Of course they did because you would too. I mean, think about what they experienced. They watched him die on the cross and, and they were devastated. And then, you know, the, the end of the gospels tell us that, that they were in a, in a room, they were trying to hide. And all of a sudden the resurrected Jesus showed up in their room and they're like, oh my goodness, you're, you're like alive. How did this happen? And, and so well, let me tell you something. They had, Jesus had their attention. And you would, if you were there, 
Jesus would have your attention too. And, and the disciples were, were convinced because they were talking to him and walking with him and being taught by him. And then, oh my goodness, Acts 1 and 2. That's an incredible part of Scripture because in Acts 1 and 2, that's the moment that they get the charge and they say, look, uh, you're going to receive power. I'm going to give you power, Jesus said, and, and the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. And guess what? Indian territory, that's the ends of the earth, okay? That's where we're living, okay? And, um, and it was crazy. And they, they remember Acts, they, they see Jesus ascend into heaven. And this was way before Star Wars and like oh, special effects, okay? They didn't, they didn't really understand beam me up Scotty at that moment. And, and you know, the, y'all probably don't even know that. I mean, I mean, some people do. Younger people probably don't. Do you know what beam me up Scotty means? That's just a generational comment that our teenagers are like, I have no clue what that means. How many of you know what that means? Raise your hand. How many of you have no clue? How many have no clue? Don't, don't be sad. Okay. All right. Come on, parents. We got we to gotta educate our kids, right, uh, on that. That's another day. I'm not going to do that. Uh, um, now, where am I in my notes? By golly. Um, but, but you know what? They were going to start the church, and they did. They started the church, and I've made this claim, and I want to make it again today, and it's a big claim. It's a big statement that the, the mission and the message that we've been given, it's the only hope for the world. Let me say that. Hear that again. The, 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 the mission and the message of the church it's the only hope for the world. Let me tell you, in our, we, the hope for the world does not rest on this election that's coming up. That's not where the hope of the world rests. The hope of the world does not rest in Supreme Court justices. The hope of the world does not rest on our economy. The hope of the world is only found in the mission and the message of what we are doing. That's a big claim, but it's an important claim. And it's a right claim. And it's one that is, is true. And Jesus prayed for his disciples because he was sending out them out with the message of the gospel. And it's the only hope for the world. Now, if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to notice verse 20. And I want you to see something magnificent. And point number one is this, that Jesus had us on his mind from the beginning. And, and you know what? That's amazing. Jesus had us on his mind from the beginning. Look at verse 20. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, for his disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Now, now this is a moment that, that, that Jesus said, Lord, I'm not just praying for myself. I'm not just praying for the disciples. I'm praying for all those that would come behind them that would believe in, in him through their message the message of the gospel. That's us. You know, it's interesting how it's magnificent to think about how much God knows you. Do you know how much he knows you? Psalm 139 gives us some insight into this, of how well he knows the details of your life, the details of, of your journey. Psalm 139 says that, that you've searched me, you know me, you know my thoughts from afar. Before there's a word on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. 
that, that Psalm 139 talks about that he carefully knit you together in your mother's womb. God knows you and knows you so well that the, Psalm 139 talks about, I can't even wrap my head around how much he knows us. God knows you. And, and it's amazing to think that Jesus prayed for us. I mean, have you experienced the power of prayer? Have you, have you done that? I mean, I hope you have. I would argue that, that we're a church that needs to pray, pray better. We need to learn a little bit more about prayer. Um, that's why I'm starting this thing on Wednesday nights, that, that we got to learn about prayer. Prayer is this incredible uh, blessing in our lives that we don't, we just pray at dinner. Um, and, and prayer is powerful. I mean, I've experienced the power of prayer in my life. Like there was a, there was a moment four years ago, never forget it. Um, I was crushed. I've, I've told this story before, but, but one of my dearest, dearest friends was killed. David Valoran was killed as he was, he's a principal at Okarchi Elementary School in Okarchi, Oklahoma. And, and he was the first, one of the first baseball coaches we hired for the ambassadors that I hired. And, and, you know, David became this incredible friend of mine that we stood next to each other in moments where God moved and I would hit him on the arm and go, can you believe we just watched God do that? He'd go, man, I can't believe it. Oh my goodness. And David um, was driving on I-40 from coming from Yukon into, into Oklahoma City, and there was a car wreck in front of him in and, and a, and a rollover accident. And Dave gets out, and he pulls a family out of a rolled-over car, and he helps them and puts them in his truck. And, and man, just was ministering to this people, just respond. That was David's heart, man. He'd see a need, and he'd just jump on it. And this dad in the car, in his truck with his family said, man, I left my cell phone in the car. And Dave said, man, I'll go get it. And he gets out of his truck and walks over to the vehicle, and the second he did that, a vehicle had a, another car had a wreck and hit him, rolls over and kills him instantly. And Dave died instantly right in front of his wife and two of his children. And I'm preaching his funeral four years ago. And I'm standing at the front of Council Road Baptist Church where I came from. And I'm standing there, and man, it's four overflow areas, and it's packed out. And as soon as his family hit the back door and starts walking down the aisle, I'm the only one on stage. And I got to talk as soon as they sat down. And right when I saw Tanya and their kids, I'd lost it. And I was like, Lord, I can't do it. I cannot do this. Lord, help me. Please help me. Because I got to talk. And I'm just losing it right now. And it was like, I felt like the Lord just goes like this. Just blew into me his power. And you know what? I experienced the power of prayer. It's powerful when a brother prays over you. It's powerful when, uh, when a pastor prays over you. And I would say to us that prayer is so powerful. It's something we've got to learn to practice with intentionality and with focus. It's something we've got to learn to do. But let's think about this. Let's think about this reality that Jesus prayed for us. Jesus prayed for you. If you are right here in this room or you're watching online and you are a believer in Jesus, he prayed for you. He prayed for me. Now that's a power at a whole new level, something that I, I can't even wrap my head around. And, and, and I'll tell you, it's, it's incredible. What did he pray? He prayed that the message would, would be heard, that those that would believe in me through the message, the message of the gospel, 
And here's what we know, that the gospel is unstoppable. You know that, right? It's, it's unstoppable. And we're still seeing it today. I mean, when, you, when, when I think about the baptisms to this afternoon, oh my goodness, the stories are incredible. Some of the stories are, every story is incredible. But when you think about some that I really know close, some of them are teenagers who, some of our students have been praying for their friends and now their friends have come to Christ. You know, there have been, uh, there's a, uh, a, a husband in this room right now, I'm not going to embarrass him, but, um, but he's getting baptized tonight because just a couple of weeks ago, he was come, he'd come to church, he was broken, and he walks down front and says, hey, look, I need Jesus in my life right now. And he's given his life to Christ. He's going to be baptized tonight. You know, we've got, there's some stories that, that are not coming tonight, but in the next couple of weeks, they're coming to be baptized. We have an entire family who's coming to be baptized in the next couple of weeks. And, and man, it is incredible when you think about how the gospel has been unstoppable. Some of our Spanish-speaking uh, leaders, there's some going to be baptized in the next few weeks. Amen. Folks, um, Man, God, God is at work, and the gospel is unstoppable. And you know, when you think about it, we all have different stories. But that same connection at the cross. And this is what's incredible. We can all trace our lineage of faith back to this moment that Jesus prayed for us. It's a powerful moment. And, and when I think about the truth is, Jesus had us on his mind from the beginning. And I want you to see that today, but it doesn't stop there. Look at what he prayed for. Look at verse 20, 21. And notice this. Pay attention. Like, look at the word here. That they, all, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, look at this, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Think about that. The glory that, that Jesus received, God has given to us, that they may be one even as we are one. Now, we are one with the Lord God Almighty. We don't grasp that fully right now, but one day when we get to heaven, we're gonna be like, whoa, my goodness, that's crazy that God would bless us like that. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Notice this, perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Man, that's big. And point number two, if you're taking notes, and we gotta see this. Jesus prayed that when God's people are unified, what happens? The world recognizes Jesus. That when we come together, when we are, are, are focused on the mission of, of Christ, the world recognizes Jesus. And this is something I pray that, that we live out in our lives, in our, in our church, in our community. That, that we, we come together as, as followers of Christ, rallied around the mission of God. You know, I don't know if you knew this. I have to explain this a lot more nowadays than I did in the past. But but we are a Southern Baptist church. You know, a lot, of, a lot of people that come to our church are going, I don't even know what a Southern Baptist is. 
And, and, and some of us that have been in a Southern Baptist church a long time, you're like, well, how's that the case? But that's the reality. We're a Southern Baptist church. And I don't know if you knew this, but we were in the news the last couple of weeks. I don't know if you saw it. But Southern Baptists were in the news. And it's interesting because, um, you know, there's a move in our denomination to uh, change the, the moniker, if you will, the, the identifier for our, for our denomination. We've always been identified as Southern Baptist. But some are saying, you know what, we really ought to change that. We ought to change the name to Great Commission Baptist. And, and that's, a, that's a movement right now in our denomination. And you know what? I kind of like the idea of Great Commission Baptist because when I think about the Great Commission, you know what the Great Commission is, don't you? Matthew 28, 19 and 20. That's when Jesus says, I want you to go to all the nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. So I like the idea of being known for the Great Commission because we are to baptize. I love it that we're seeing 13 people baptized tonight, this afternoon. I love that. And, and I love how we should take the gospel to the world. And I, I'm grateful to be a part of a church that we responded to the hurricane. We, we've got a group in Lake Charles with disaster relief, and, and they've been working hard and sharing the gospel uh, down there, responding to this moment. I, I love what, what we get to do with missions, that we are sending missionaries all over the world in incredible um, incredible places. And, and I love it that our denomination, it really is a characteristic of us that we are Great Commission Baptist. I like it. But you know what I don't want to do? I don't want to forget our history. I don't want to forget that because I think our history is important. Now, you may not know the history of Southern Baptist. So don't worry. I'm not going to, hopefully I won't bore you too much, but I want to share a little bit of our history. Can I share a little bit of where we came from? Did you realize that in 1841, now think about this, 1841, Baptists in America were united. We were, we were one group. In 1841, we were struggling with one another. And, and Baptists were struggling over, there were really three big issues. One of the issues was the way we were meeting because Baptists in the North and Baptists in the South couldn't really agree on how we would meet together on an annual basis. That was one issue. A second issue was the use of our dollars uh, when it comes to missionaries because like our church, we, do, we give a lot of money to cooperate with other Southern Baptist churches to do disaster relief, to send missionaries, to do all kinds of great work around the world. We, we do this. We send a lot of money. Uh, 6% of our budget goes to the cooperative program for that every, every month. And I love that, that we're doing part of that. Well, there was a fight over the way those dollars were being spent. But the main issue over the split that led to that split in 1845 was a disagreement over slavery. And that's a historical fact. Now, now let's think about this. We were Southern Baptists, so Baptists in the South were pro-slavery. Baptists in the North were opposed to slavery. That was 1845. Now, they, they divided. 
1845. 1841, the fight was coming to a head. 1845, they split. And you know, there was a, there was a, 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 a Baptist paper in, in Kentucky at that time, and a guy, J.I. Waller, no relation to me, because I'm Wall. And, uh, but J.I. Waller made this statement. He said, I hope that the split of our denomination doesn't lead, doesn't um, accelerate the split of our nation. That was 1845. The first shot in the Civil War happened in 1861. And I think it's interesting um, to, to ponder. I wonder if Baptists at that time would have come together to recognize the Imago Dei of every human being. You know, what is that? Imago Dei, that means the image of God, that every man is in the image of God. You see, in 1845, Baptists, our ancestors, were struggling to hold on to the sin of racism. And they were unwilling to recognize the Imago Dei of every man. I wonder if we would have come together in repentance in that moment, if that act right there would have thwarted, that's a good word, isn't it? Thwarted. You ought to use that three times today, thwart. I wonder if that could have thwarted or stopped the Civil War. Now, I'm not saying that the split of Baptists contributed to the Civil War or was the cause of the Civil War. But I, I do want to propose something powerful to you. That when God's people come together, the world recognizes Jesus. And when the world recognizes Jesus, that transforms society. And what I pray that we do in this moment in history is that we as a church come together in repentance and obedience to God and love for one another. And you know what? I believe that will transform society. Yeah, I have a good friend. I serve as a trustee right now for the International Mission Board, for the IMB. I represent uh, pastors in Oklahoma, and I'm grateful to get to do that. There's, a, there's a, a friend of mine that came on the same time I did, and he's the pastor at a, at a prominent African-American church in Louisville, Kentucky. And I talked to him this week. And Louisville, that's, that's a tough place to be a pastor right now, if you've seen the news. And uh, he's the pastor at a prominent African-American church. And you know, you know what he said to me? He said, Chris, I'm so grateful to be a Southern Baptist. I'm like, you're a, you're a, you're a black pastor you're grateful to be a Southern Baptist that started like we started? He goes, I absolutely am. Because when I look at Southern Baptist today, we didn't stay there. God, God moved us to repentance. God moved us to recognize that every man is created in the image of God and that we are called to go to every tribe, every tongue, every nation and share the gospel with them. And that's what God has called us to do. That's where we are today. Not to say that we don't have work to do, 
But God has sanctified us. God is in the process of sanctifying us. What do I mean by that? Sanctified means that we are growing up in our faith. God is, is, is convicting us and moving us and, and, and moving us to be right with him and, and growing us up as believers. He goes, God has done that for us. And you know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful that sanctification has become our story. And when I look at at where we started, God did not leave us where we started. And isn't that true for your life? Aren't you grateful that God did not leave you where you started? Aren't you grateful that God has, has grown you up and helped you understand more of his love and more of his word and more of, his, of, of the joy of walking with him? Sanctification is our story. And so I'm thankful that, that we, we must become Great Commission Baptists. We must become uh, focused on sharing the gospel and, and, and in the world uh, making a difference. But you know what? I don't want to forget our history. I don't want to forget the fact and miss this reality that when we put God's word into practice, the world recognizes Jesus. And this is why we've got to walk this road and not delegate the, the racial tensions to the NBA or the NFL or, or something like that. We in the church have to be a part of the solution. When it comes to the, the, the divisiveness in our, in our nation, we're not just going to contribute to that problem. We're going to come together and walk with the Lord and trust him. We're going to repent of our sin and obey the Lord. And this is my prayer for us as a church. You know, I, I love this, this prayer that he prayed. I want you to notice how Jesus continued this prayer. And I want you to notice the passion of his heart. Look at verse Verse 20, 24. Listen to the passion of Jesus. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me, and I made known to them your name, and will continue to make it known. And this, aren't you grateful that Jesus did that? He said, Lord, I'm going to make you known to them, and I will continue to make, his, make it known. This is why we've got to keep sharing the gospel, because Jesus promised that the gospel will be unstoppable, that there will be continual moments where God makes his name known. And then he says that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is a powerful prayer. And Jesus promised that that he's going to make his name known throughout all of history until he returns. And this is why I pray we've got to be a church focused on the Great Commission, focused on sharing the gospel, focused on this message that has changed our lives. Now, here's the question that we've got to end with today. And the question is this. Will we be the answer to Jesus' prayer? Are you going to be the answer? Are you going to step up and say, Lord, use me. Lord, here I am. I want to be a part of your work in the world. I'm going to be faithful. You know, some of you in this room may not have come to Christ yet in your life. 
And it's my prayer that you hear the message of salvation, that, that there's a path to eternal life, that, 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 that you don't have to fear death because there is hope in life. There's hope in death because of what Christ did on the cross. There is forgiveness available to you, that, that we were born sinners and Christ came to rescue us from our sin. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, you, you could come to him today. And I pray that, that that's your story, that, that, that you recognize Jesus and who he is and what he's done for you. But for mo- mo- a lot of us in this room, most of us in this room, we've come to know Christ as our Savior, right? Isn't that right? We, we came to recognize that we are sinners and we can't save ourselves, right? You've come to know that, haven't you? We're the ones that have been, been, been recognized that we are broken and, and we needed Christ to put us back together and, and Jesus is growing us and moving us. We are the ones that sanctification has become our story, that God did not leave you where you were, but is growing you. And now he invites us to serve him to walk with him and to be the answer to the prayer that he prayed. You know, we're, we're the ones that heard that Hebrews 12 call. You know that call, right? Hebrews 12, one through three. We are therefore surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Um, and, and fixing, what do we do? We fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before me endured the cross, enduring its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 12, 3 says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and you will lose heart. See, that's been our story we, we are, that, that's our pattern of our life. We throw those things off. And, and we're the people that look, we act, and we talk like those who know Jesus. Uh, right here, Jesus prays for the unity of his church. And this is why I believe it was important for us to, to make this move where Anthony Scott, the, the pastor of First Baptist North Tulsa, came here and preached. Last week, I went there and preached. And we are beginning a relationship with their church because, look, the, the spotlight of, of the world is going to be turned on Tulsa already, but it's especially starting next year. And I'll tell you, we've got to make sure we are contributing to the solutions in our, in our, in our nation, not the problem. And I pray we as a church come together and stop uh, looking at the color of a man's skin and recognize that there is an imago day in every human being. And we've got to recognize that those that don't look like us, those that don't think like us, look, we have brothers that don't look like us. We have, there are people in our lives that don't think like us. And those that don't think like us, they are not our enemy. They are people that we're to pray for and reach Those that don't know Christ are not our enemy. There are those that we need to be reaching with the gospel. We've got to stop vilifying those that are different from us. And as a believer, we must never judge a man by the color of his or her skin, ever. And I pray that we we are the answer to Jesus' prayer. Now, can I give you three practical steps to do that? How do you do that? Well, I think of three ways. Number one, 
I want to challenge us to invest in, in a relationship with somebody who is ethnically different than you. Look at your life for a second. Are you currently investing in a relationship with somebody that doesn't look like you, doesn't come from where you came from? I'll tell you, when that happened in my life, that impacted me. I wanna challenge you to invest in somebody that doesn't look like you. Start, have, start building a friendship. Start praying for somebody that doesn't look like you. I would argue that that might be a problem for, for a lot of us. You know, I wanna learn from our kids, our, our students. Well, they're really leading the way in that. I know they go to school and they have a great opportunity. But I'll tell you, I'm grateful for the example of our students. There's a reason the Bible says don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But you set the example for, for believers in your speech and your life and your faith and your love and in your purity. And I'm thankful for a student ministry that in many ways leads the way in that. Invest in a relationship with somebody. All, second thing, you ought to get involved in missions outside the United States, outside of our borders. Have you ever been on a mission trip? Can I tell you that's the greatest thing Robin and I have done as parents? We've taken our kids outside of the United States multiple times. And you know, as we did that, you know what our kids came to recognize? The world is not like Owasso. You know, oh my goodness. So often we get so focused on this, on just right what's in front of our eyes. And can I tell you, the world is not like Owasso. And I would argue some of you have been in Owasso for too long. You need to get out and see that the world is bigger than your set of problems and your limited view. You know what you need to get? You need to get one of these. It's a passport. When I was at VOM, this leader at VOM, you know, Voice of the Mars, he said, he goes, you know what I believe? I believe many of our church members are living in disobedience to God because they don't have a passport. Because if you don't have a passport, you don't even have the opportunity to go. Get a passport. Yeah, it's annoying. You got to go get stuff together and stand in line and uh, you can do it. You can do it. Get a passport and consider going and serving the Lord. Because I'll tell you, one of the ways that my children learned that God is at work is they got in a position in their life that was uncomfortable. I don't recommend this, but when Maggie was on the side of a road in Colombia by herself with two Colombians and her dad took off on a motorcycle, not realizing I was gonna be gone for four hours. She trusted the Lord and so did I and Robin forgave us, forgave me <laughs> for that, which is good too. Get a passport. Go and start looking for opportunities 
right here in your church. You know why, why I love Keith Davis? Keith is passionate about missions. And Keith has accepted the charge of leading our church to the forefront of missions in the state of Oklahoma. Years ago when Keith was our youth minister and he said, you know, I really feel called to missions. I was like, all right, you better lead us to be the best at missions in the state of Oklahoma. And he's like, let me add it. And you know what? When I look at what we are doing as a church with missions, we have a slogan that it's better than any church I've ever heard about. I love it. That our mission strategy is we are going to share the gospel here, there, and everywhere. And so we have a local mission strategy that we spent $2 million building the mission, and we're rocking and rolling, sharing the gospel and helping people right here in Owasso and Tulsa and the, uh, the rural areas around here. We have, a, we have a national, state national strategy where we're going around the nation and around Oklahoma to share the gospel. And we have a global strategy where we get out of our comfort zone and we go around the world. You know what else we're doing? In a time of financial uncertainty, in a time where it's tighter and everybody's tightening their belt, and, and even our church is feeling the tightening of our belt, I'll tell you what, we are, we are, we've been praying for the last three years about a partnership with Compassion International. And we're starting it next week. For three years, we've been working on this. And, and then 2020 hit, hit, and we're like, okay, man, it's tighter. Do we, do we lead our church to this kind of sacrificial offering that doesn't come to our church budget and we're like, how, how can we not? I mean, how can you ever outgive God? You ought to try. You won't do it. And so we, we have a goal of sponsoring 180 children in Nicaragua. And we're starting next week. 180 kids need to be sponsored from our church. And you know what? We, that's, we, that, that's a layup for us. That means that's easy for those that didn't play basketball. That's easy. Should be. Mark, should be. But, but you know what? We're called to this world, and you have an opportunity right now to be involved in ministry outside of the United States. But not only are we sponsoring a child you got to go get a passport because we're putting together mission trips to go see them and to invest in this church that's in this part of the northern part of Nicaragua. And we're going to wrap our hands around this church. There's several reasons I love compassion. They, I love this ministry because they're focused on sharing the gospel. That's critical. I love this ministry because they do it through a local church. And those people are on the ground right there. I love it. I love it that they are helping kids, not just uh, in preaching to them, but they're saying, we're going to teach you how to read and write and how to give you an education and, and raise you up to, to contribute, to go get a job. And that's why we're investing in this. So I want you to know right now, here's this question. 
are you and I going to be an answer to the prayer of Jesus of investing and building a relationship with somebody that's different? That ought to start at your house. You ought to start with friendships. That ought to continue through things like compassion. And that ought to move us to get, get going. So what are you waiting on? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. And then I want you to just see a picture of what it looks like when one of these kids realize that someone like us has come along to help them. And I want you to see it. And then Brandon's going to come and we're going to have an invitation. And this entire invitation, I want you to think about one thing. Are you going to be the answer to the prayer of Jesus? Lord, I thank you for how your word does not leave us where we are. I thank you how your spirit does not leave us where we are. But you grow us and you shape us and you move us. Thank you for how your word guides us and is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Lord, if there is someone in this room that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray that today is the day of salvation. If there's someone in this room that has not been baptized, I pray that today they would follow you in baptism at four o'clock today. Father, for all of us that know you, I just want to say we want to be the answer to your prayer. So lead us, help us do our part. Speak to us now and move us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.